Hey friends, I'm Ashley. Hey you guys! I'm Lainey. And this is Haunted Real Estate. Hey everybody, so we're back again. So today we're talking about an infamous piece of land, 22 acres and a mile and a half off the coast of San Francisco. It is Alcatraz. So I'm just going to jump right in. We have nothing. Please do jump right in. I was going to say, we have nothing to talk about, right? No. Actually, Lainey is waiting for dinner, so... That we just need to go right in. We have no time for fluff. So if there's any sounds that you hear, outside sounds, it's really just my stomach growling. (laughs) (laughs) Alcatraz makes me hungry. Yeah. Okay. So Alcatraz is located off the coast of San Francisco, California. It is one of three of the islands off the coast of San Fran. There is, well, this is what was supposed to be the Triangle of Defense, Fort Point, Lime Point, and Alcatraz. It was supposed to be there to protect the Bay Area. So Alcatraz has uh, a notoriously famous past in regards to its prisoners um, that resided there, but it has it has other history too. Like how did how did it even become that? So if we dig a little deeper, we see a fascinating story of an island that goes far beyond what pop culture would have us believe. The history of Alcatraz prior to European discover discovery. Discovery is a little muddled. We don't really know everything that happened there and the history of that part. But what we do know, before some of the first known settlers came to the San Francisco Bay Area, there were Native Americans. There were tribes, the Costanoan and the Coastal Miwok. And while an exact occupation, like a timeline of their occupation, we cannot determine, many people believe they were in that area thousands of years prior to Europeans arriving. They do believe that the, I think you pronounce it Olone. The Olone, sounds like it's saying alone, but it's, it does sound like that a little bit. O-H-L-O-N-E. The Olone natives possibly used it for ceremonial purposes, but Ooh. that's also not really confirmed. It was not, as far as Alcatraz is concerned, it was not inhabited. Um, wasn't, but, wasn't it, I mean, before... There's a prison on it. Wasn't it just like a island of rock? Yeah. Oh my gosh! Can you imagine like taking your tribe out to do some kind of? I thought you were gonna say, can you imagine a rocky island? I'm like, yes. There's tons. <laughs> of Picture them. it. There are rocks. There is water. It's ferocious. No. Yeah. <laughs> no. For like some ceremonial thing. Yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh! It's just so tense. Yeah, so nobody actually inhabited it because there's no actual water source. Even though there's water, water everywhere and not a drop to drink. God, that makes me have to pee for some reason. (laughs) Okay, it's not what I was going for. But it's fascinating. It's a small island surrounded by water, but none of it's drinkable. Yeah. So the first Europeans to, quote, discover and claim Alcatraz were the Spanish, led by Captain Gaspar de Portola in 1769. Funnily enough, the Bay Area was discovered by accident because they were actually looking for Monterey, California. But... They found it. It was about five years later that San Carlos, commanded by Lieutenant Juan Manuel de, de Ayala. I just have to say I love in history when things like prominent in history are founded because they were looking for something else. Like I feel mm-hmm. like <laughs> mm-hmm. I always say this like that would be me. 
I'd be like, I was trying to find... I was totally trying to go to India and ended up in America. I don't know how that happened. Like, oops. (laughs) Yeah. So, Juan Manuel de Ayala explored the Bay Area. It was at this time he noticed an island with a large amount of pelicans that continued to hang around. Don't be a silly pelican. What does she say? Oh my gosh, what does she say? (laughs) Don't be a disgruntled pelican. Yes. (laughs) So he named the island La Isla de los Alcatreces, which means Island of Pelicans. And I'm really sorry if I completely pronounced that wrong. Sounded beautiful. Yeah, I said it. I said it in confidence. And I have come to learn if you say or do anything in confidence, people just go with it. Okay. So over time, the phrase Alcatreces would evolve into Alcatraz as more English speakers came to the area and really anglicized that word. So we, we really Englished, Americanized that up. Have you ever been down yonder, down to that Alcatraz? Alcatraz. So fast forward to the 19th century. It's 1846 when it became known as Fort Alcatraz. It's 1848 and we come to the conclusion of the Mexican-American War. As a result, the United States acquired a massive amount of land from the Mexican government, which included Alcatraz Island. This was also the time of the gold rush. Um, it was going on very much on the West Coast in the California area, and tons of people were flooding in, including immigrants coming to California. So they felt the need to put up some defense in the Bay Area. So between 1848 and 1851, 300,000 people moved to California to seek their riches. So, of course, that's on the mainland. That's not on Alcatraz. So I just, ha- again, sorry, have to interrupt. Uh, we definitely did not do this on purpose, but what you're talking about at this time, Yankee Jim was stealing horses, murdering people, and, you know, a I boat. know. We that's always so crazy. do that. <laughs> this is the second time that we do two California ones in a row because Lainey will find something she's excited to research and then i find something i'm excited to research and then we come together and we're like cool we did something but you literally said no more california places and that's why i did loftus hall because i was like i'm just going to another country well okay but not no more california places but we did so many in a row out of the pods that we've done so far so it was like okay let's give california a break and let's do other places and then here we go with whaley house and alcatraz back to back so but it's cool. Sorry, Sorry I didn't California. mean to interrupt. I, I love the story. And you're better at the history telling than I am, so. Well, that, you know, I'm, I'm a amateur wannabe historian. So about 300,000 people moved to California looking for riches, chasing the American dream, looking to strike gold and make it rich. It, like I just said, it, that's on the mainland. That's not on Alcatraz, but Alcatraz was there as a sort of military base. So many mining camps were setting up, um, and a lot of them started to become towns. By the end of the peak of the gold rush, there was little gold to be found, and most people did not become rich. But due to the massive influx of people, California became a state in 1851. And almost immediately, Alcatraz was commissioned as a defensive outpost for the Union, which was ordered by President Millard Fillmore. He passed an executive order for the islands around the San Francisco Bay Area to be reserved for, quote, public purposes. This is where... Such uh, a broad statement. (laughs) This is reserved for public purposes. I know, right? Like, okay. So he was influenced by the idea of that triangle of defense with the three islands, Alcatraz being one of those islands. So that's what we're focusing on. 
So they heavily armed Alcatraz. They installed over 80 to 100 cannons on the island, which ended up making it the most fortified military site on the West Coast. In 1853, they began the construction of Fort Alcatraz, and it was ultimately completed in 1858, and 200 soldiers were stationed there. Also in 1853, the first lighthouse in Cali was put on Alcatraz. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, that is kind of cool. 1861, there was the attack on Fort Sumter, which began the Civil War. Okay, and that's on the complete other side of the United States, by the way, in case you didn't know that. But this is where Alcatraz, as we knew it, uh, or as we know it, had started to take shape. They um, began housing Confederate sympathizers there. They would consider rebellious Native Americans, or what they considered rebellious Native Americans. And people accused of treason would be in the basement of Fort Alcatraz. That's where they had some jail cells and stuff like that. So as tensions continued to rise in America with Native Americans, more and more would end up in the prison of Alcatraz. So according to History.com, which is where we got a lot of information, the U.S. arrested 19 Hopi men for refusing to send their children to American assimilation boarding schools, almost a thousand miles away from where their actual reservation was in Arizona. American assimilation? Yes. What is... So I'm the, thinking of a, a technology, a simulation of something. What is okay? What that yeah, mean? you're you're thinking simulation. Uh, us to oh, assimilate. A, yeah, okay, to assimilate okay. is is but almost to like ac- to to acclimate into that culture. Or something so to make Native it. Americans more American. Got it. I I really did hear a dash simulation. No. <laughs> you're just trying to take away their native culture and kind of force them to just be like everybody. That was that's all, all the, the Anglos. Up, yeah. Well, we know that that's a dark part of our history. I know. I know. So this school, these boarding schools being a thousand miles away, it's not really hard to blame these Native Americans for not wanting to send their kids there because it's also, I mean, not just wanting to send your kids a thousand miles away, but you're also sending them there knowing you're kind of destroying your culture. So during this period, the federal government had a mandate, save the man, kill the Indian, which seems absolutely bonkers, but we know that that kind of stuff happened back then. Um, Schools were made to essentially brainwash Native American youth into abandoning their heritage, which we know that's a common way to, like, Hitler had the Hitler youth, not, not to compare U.S. government to Hitler, but we know it's reaching out to the young kids because they're the ones that are easy to change and then they'll just grow up being more americanized essentially yeah it just always bumps me out to it is i guess be reminded reminded of you know we didn't get started in the best way um no. It's just sad. And I, I also always like to think of what if I was in that situation to a lot of situations. I like, I wonder if I would be more of a rebel and like go against it or if I would just totally go with the flow of whatever people I said. Know. This is even when I taught social studies. I cannot say the words if I was back then. Yeah. Because what would I know? I mean, if you put me in a, a time traveling, you know, if you put me in a DeLorean and sent me back, sure. But if... I was raised in that. I don't know how yeah, I would yeah. be. Well, I was raised I the way I was with my and have my thoughts and my ideas. I feel like we were raised a certain way and to some extent. And you and I both still kind of, I don't know, we, we're logical thinkers. We think of 
both sides of the political party. We think about, I don't know, there's, we take other things Try into to be account. open-minded. Yeah. yeah. And, like, I wonder if, if, if we would be that way back then. It's just, it's interesting to think about, like. I guess I'm grateful I'm open-minded now, and I don't have to worry Well, there was a time in our lives, in our childhood, where our mother was Baptist and our father was Jewish. True. I mean, those are very different ideas, and I think that kind of helped, in a way, to shape us with just being understand. you know, just, just seeing both sides. Yeah. And even with that, you talk about, like, that's not just two different religions. I mean, two different groups of people that typically have very different political ideas, too. Yeah. So I think that's why a lot of times you and I tend to be very middle of the road about everything. Yeah, for sure. It's hard to just be so strongly one-sided. Now, there's certain topics I might be strongly on one side, but, you know, hear both sides. So this isn't a part of our history that we're super proud of, but it did happen. So we're going to talk about it. So the schools were there to essentially... um, teach Native American youth to abandon their heritage. They wanted them to cut their hair. They wanted them to wear Americanized clothing, you know, not wearing their tribal garb or anything like that. They would change their name to American names, and they would not allow them to speak in their native tongues. They would have to speak English. And in addition, practice Christianity. Uh, All of that sucks. First, I would be bitching and moaning about a haircut. But, like, changing my clothing, what's comfortable on your skin, what you believe in. My gosh, they probably couldn't even, like, talk to the people they wanted to talk to. That just uproots everything. Sorry. I'd like to think. Stop carping on it. It just really sucks. I'd like to think we've come further than this. I mean, sometimes I know that there's pockets of the country that have not and i'm not discounting that but i think at least like i live in the houston area so i'm you know i'm in a pretty diverse city so i'd like to think yes we have come much further than this where it's it's okay that you come from somewhere else you you dress in in your culture and that's fine like i think i'll teach you and then we can that's what america should be is that we are a hodgepodge of a bunch of different countries and we see that i mean yeah i think i've said this before i don't care what country you come from just bring your recipe book thank you to my brother-in-law who gave me that quote because it's that's exactly how i feel Mm -hmm. i want to try your food and i want to learn more about your culture exactly so if that's not bad enough the children were also forced into labor they were mistreated they were abused and we know many native americans were treated lesser than and children were no exception So the Hopi 19 were used to set an example to other Native Americans who were thinking that they were going to be non-compliant to the U.S. government. So the Hopi 19 stayed in Alcatraz for a year, and the conditions were pretty terrible. Of course, the national media sided with the government and compared their stay to, like, a second-class hotel. It's not that big of a deal. So giving the natives maybe a minute to breathe, there was the Spanish-American War in 1898. So, of course, thinking about where California is located and the Spanish-American War, there was, it it was used as a military defense operation. And at the height of the Spanish-American War, there were 450 prisoners. Military development of the island would continue all the way up to 1915 when it was deemed no longer useful. It was at this point converted officially into a military prison rather than just a military base. It was They were more saying like, okay, we're just going to house prisoners there and not have as a base where there are also prisoners. And from 1915 to 1933, it was a military prison before it came a federal prison. 
So they had the prisoners build a new, stronger building. It was a wooden structure, which was just considered too vulnerable. So the prisoners were the ones to rebuild at the total cost of $250,000. So I'm not sure if that's today's money, but that is yeah, what it's so, It sounds like a lot for the time. Um, yeah, like early 1900s. Yeah, I mean, if it's all wood and stuff, you know, I'm thinking of the Whaley house costing 10000 So, like, mm-hmm. even just, like, multiply apply that a bunch. Now, this is, like, a lot of concrete. True. And we're also talking about traveling to the rock to get there. So, there's ships. I know. Oh, well, you're still guys loading it on the boat. Off I'm the just boat. saying, it's a, it's a mile and a half. And not, like, Hawaii. Where you're like yeah. <laughs> going pretty far into the Pacific. Yes. So the numbers continued to grow for the prison, but 1934 Alcatraz had been converted into a federal penitentiary and remained that way for almost 30 years. So this is what most people know about Al- Alcatraz, the federal penitentiary that would house some of the most notorious criminals. So this is kind of the juicy part of our story. Oh, so- I love the juicy juice. So, I mean, this is what most people, we know some of the criminals there, and we know Alcatraz as a prison. So the first warden had one guard per inmate, and each inmate had their own cell. Actually, I think that was one guard per three inmates. I'm so sorry. I just didn't put that in, but I I did remember that. Well, these are like the worst kind of people, right? So you couldn't have two guys in the same place in bunk beds, right? Right. Yeah, exactly. But some of their cells were open to each other because of some of the stories I read that, well, I'll, I'll... I think I'll tell you in a minute. I need to, I didn't put it in my notes, but I did remember it. So I'll just, I'll have to remember it when I get there. Um, So a lot of the different prisoners came from history.com. So history.com says the Federal Bureau of Prisons, BOP, viewed Alcatraz. Oh. (laughs) But the BOP. (laughs) Sorry. Should be FBOP, Federal Bureau of Prisons. FBOP. The name of our new band. Check us out. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Viewed Alcatraz as the prison system prison, a place where the most disruptive inmates could be sent to live under sparse conditions with few privileges in order to learn how to follow rules, at which point they could be transferred to other federal prisons to complete their sentences. So they weren't necessarily going to Alcatraz for their full sentence. So according to the BOP, Alcatraz typically held 260 to 275 prisoners, which represented less than 1% of the entire federal inmate population. So Alcatraz is a very small portion. So yeah, there's only like 200 or less people there, prisoners. Yeah, well, it's 260 to 275. I think it held up to like 400 if it, but it never was at that capacity. That's not, I just imagine it like such a big place, like at least a thousand. Yeah. It, no, in total, people. it totaled 1,500 prisoners at its, like not at its height, in yeah. total of all the prisoners it had. Dang, that's crazy. So it's a pretty small portion of prisoners. I imagine it larger. And I also, I know it's not the same at all, but like v- visually, I think of Shutter Island when I think of Alcatraz. I don't know why. I just think of Rainy. I know it's not a mental in- institution, but like I just think of, yeah. Anyways, mm-hmm. I. I imagine a lot more people, and I also imagine Leonardo DiCaprio's there, so. Okay, I haven't seen Shutter Island in so long. I have no references to it. Oh, my gosh. I saw it one time. That is worth a rewatch, I promise you. I rewatched it, like, two years ago, and it still holds up. It's so freaking good. Okay. The ending, you're just like, Okay, wow. well, don't tell me, because I've already forgotten. I'm not telling forgotten. you. No, yeah. For being forgotten is great, because I also forgot it, and when I 
when it ended, I was just like, wow, this movie is actually oh so God. much better than I thought it was the first time. I don't want to say the full thing, but I fully forgot the season of Dexter that had Colin Hanks in it. Oh, yeah. I oh my fully gosh. forgot it. And so when we got to like the last episode, Casey was... Or a second, second to last, I don't know. I was like, oh my God. What Even though I watched here? it like 10, 15 years ago, whatever. Yeah. And he was like, I remember the whole time, but I didn't want to tell you. I'm like, what? My mind is so blown. I'm like, <laughs> man, how did that blow my mind twice? Like I rewatched it, but I, I forgot all of it. That's what I love about television. There's so much of it out. And like shows like Dexter have so many episodes and actors and stories and mm-hmm. I love getting my mind reblown so I know. hard. It's I know. So I completely great. forgot about that season. So anyway, that just like really blew my mind yeah. whole. So there were tons of interesting inmates that came into Alcatraz. So obviously we're just kind of talking about a few of them here. So these people kind of deserve a little bit more attention. So Frank Lucas Bolt. Bolt has a unique distinction of being the first official official prisoner of Alcatraz, the penitentiary. Wait, so he just like got there and well, he was not a part of the military prison. He was oh yeah, he was a part of the federal. He was the first for the federal prison. (laughs) He's just like echo echo. echo. (laughs) No one's here. No, no one's gonna beat me up today. (laughs) But this is interesting. Why he was arrested? This is a. A tale of the times. A tell of the times? A tell of the times. Tell of the times, yes. You're thinking of tale as old as time. Okay. <laughs> he was the first known gay prisoner that was housed there. In Ooh. 1932, Bolt was serving in Panama as a member of the U.S. Army, but that same year, he was convicted of sodomy. Very swiftly, he was sent to prison in the Pacific, but J. Edgar Hoover wanted to send a message to the country. So history.com. Hoover wanted Alcatraz seen not only as a prison for America's most dangerous mobsters and criminals, but also as a symbol of America's intolerance and prosecution of homosexuality and what he deemed as an undesirable lifestyle. That's insane to think about because I, oh my gosh, I love gay gay men, whatever. Uh, But like sodomy is what he was there for. Mm -hmm. So like he was... They're, Just a gay guy in the army. That's yeah, it. I know, but it's like he he raped someone in a, disgu- a disgusting way. But that is how you know gay men have sex, and he th- well, this that's what particular, that's, yeah, that's what it sounds per- like. That's not what he did. Oh, I thought you said he he went for sodomy. Didn't isn't that like uh, raping up the butt? It doesn't have to be rape. Oh, okay. <laughs> wow, I'm so sorry. That's why I'm not the educational one. But in my head, I'm thinking, like, this is why people don't like homosexuality back in the day, because it just sounds aggressive and forced and horrible. No, no, no. Um, um, it, it doesn't have to be rape. It, it can be. Um, it's just anything. At it's, just, it's just anal, anal sex. Oh, no. <laughs> oh. I, I'm sorry. I didn't sorry, think. Sorry. Anytime I, I see <laughs> the word sodomy, it comes with, uh, you know, a brutal crime. I No it, one's... No one says I was with my lover and I performed sodomy on him. Right. It was that was just yeah, that was just considered illegal. I think what a man and woman did in the bedroom was their business, but if two men were caught doing anything by choice, not rape, it was considered criminal to both of them. Okay, so I, I understand that for sure. Do you get where at all my brain was going though? Yeah, with it? I, I like, know what you were saying. He so he was only there because he was a gay man in the army. Because he had yeah, okay, and that worse really because he sucks. was in the army. 
Okay. And that we know that's been a thing for a very long time. Wow. Um, Guys, I'm really sorry. I feel like even my best friends are going to text me and be like, you don't, you didn't actually know what sodomy was. <laughs> hey. I, I've always taken it as like a, a negative term, a, more of a crime, not because a, you hear act. they're there for sodomy. Yes. And so you just assume it's worse. And before anybody gets mad at Lainey for that, okay, this is how we learn things. We talk about them because things aren't talked about. We don't know a lot of things. So that's how we learn. It's fine. I thought sodomy was just a bad word. I'm sorry. It's the- <laughs> I didn't know. Let's let's go past it. We have to move past it. I'm so stupid. (laughs) I'm just going to leave. Ashley's going to finish Alcatraz. I'm going to go eat the bird. Lady's going to go rock back and forth Uh, and cry. just going to cry. Oh, God. Anyways. Okay. So, um... Al Capone, obviously one of the most recognizable names in American history, and with good reason. Um, So by the 1920s and 30s, he had achieved a sort of mythical status um, as a mobster, and he was public enemy number one to the FBI, and he was Scarface Al. By August 1934, he became another inmate of Alcatraz. So despite his colorful background, um, upon his arrival to Alcatraz, he became what many considered to just be a great prisoner. He actually wasn't that bad. He became a serious reader, a musician, and a composer. He was a model prisoner. He, most of the time, kept a low profile. He did his prison chores and rarely resorted, resorted to violence unless he was provoked. In one instance, he did bash a fellow inmate's head in with a bedpan. Capone was transferred from Atlanta to Alcatraz shortly after its opening in an effort to get America's worst criminals in what is a maximum security prison. And remember, Alcatraz being on a 22-acre island, it was considered inescapable. And when we get to all the many attempted escapes, you'll see that in many ways it was pretty inescapable. So he was in cell number 181. Interestingly enough, it wasn't Capone's checkered past that got him incarcerated. It wasn't him being a mobster. Many people know this already, but he was sent there for tax evasion because it was hard to catch him as a criminal doing what he was doing. So he was, cons- it, him being there uh, was considered a white collar crime because it was tax evasion. So <laughs> history.com said Capone, Capone was aside assigned to a typical nine by five foot cell. Unlike earlier stops to his prison career where he received privileged treatment, that wouldn't be the case here. No more huge private cell, home cooked meals, telephone privileges, or visits from gang pals like Lucky Luciano and Dutch Schultz, as Chicago's Cook County Jail had provided him before. Wait, uh, I know Lucky Luciano. Who is he? But like, I just need a reminder. Uh, he, I mean, he's another gang member. I know, but he was known for something. So not really spending much time on uh, Lucky Luciano, um, but he was nicknamed that from a 1929 kidnapping. Um, He was kidnapped, beaten, his throat was slit, and he was stabbed multiple times with an ice pick and survived. Um, That's where he got the nickname Lucky. I think I'm thinking of it from a movie I can't pinpoint on. Like, I feel like Robert De Niro played. I mean, he was... Okay, well, you, you're right. You might be thinking that because a lot of people um, relate his story to... Um, Gangsters? Hang on. Goodfellas. That's like one of my favorite movies, uh, too, so I almost forgot. Yeah, Goodfellas, um, but he was a New York gangster. Got it, got it. Okay. So, 
That that's all I'm gonna say about that. That's cool. I'm learning so many facts today here, obviously, guys. There you go. So Capone was transferred from Atlanta to Alcatraz um shortly after its opening in an effort to get America's worst criminals into a maximum security prison. I said he was in cell one eighty one. Let me catch up to where I am. Oh yeah. So he wasn't getting visits from his gang pals anymore like Lucky Luciano and Dutch Schultz like he was when he was in Chicago. Nor would he be able to wear any of his silk underwear, custom tailored suits, or have extra time on the tennis courts. Wear my silk panties, guys. I know. I mean, that's what the rich wear, right? Mm-hmm. At Alcatraz, he was treated like any other inmate. He was not special in any way. Um, he was assigned to various different kinds of labor and manufacturing jobs that the prison had to offer. According to another prisoner at the time of his incarceration, Al Capone gets no more privileges than the rest, except that he does not get beaten or thrown into the dungeon. He has too much political influence for that. So during his time at what they called The Rock, it was kind of the Alcatraz nickname since it was a rocky island, it seemed like he mostly wanted to focus on improving himself, even though Capone never even finished the seventh grade after he, and by the way, he didn't finish the seventh grade after hitting a teacher. He didn't have a whole lot of education. He began to heavily take an interest here in reading. He would frequent the prison library. He would read books about all sorts of different things. But some of those things were gardening, music, and some self-help books. He enjoyed reading music theory so much that he decided to take some action. He began to plead his case to the warden that he wanted to assemble a band. (laughs) So after a year of badgering, the warden relented and allowed a band to be formed. But they could only practice for a maximum of 20 minutes per day. Oh, that's tough. But what's interesting, though, is that Capone never played an instrument before this, and he chose to play the banjo. And he was self-taught. And he, in a letter to his son, he told his son that he knew 500 songs and a lot of them were show tunes. He said, Junior, there isn't a song written that I can't play. So he was pretty proud of the skills that he had gained in his banjo playing from all the books that he read at Alcatraz. Sounds like he's remained cocky throughout his life. But for Al Capone, it was not his criminal background that was his ultimate undoing. It was the fact that he had a raging case of syphilis. And I don't mean that by any exaggeration. Syphilis is very treatable, but if you let it go on for too long, then it's no longer treatable. Yeah. Um, But it is one of those things that it can be caught early and completely treatable and it's not a big deal. Um, He is one of those more rare circumstances where it it just went on way too long. So his disease started before his time in Alcatraz. It did not start there. But while he was there, it it was only getting worse. And at this point, it was so far gone that there was no viable treatment. One radical approach for the time was injecting the person with a malaria virus. The point of doing this was that it would raise your temperature so high that it would hopefully kill the syphilis. Mm-hmm. except a very high temperature can also do a lot of damage. And so that's what happened to Capone, is that they injected him with that malaria virus. It raised his temperature. It did not kill the syphilis, and it nearly killed him. So he still had the disease afterwards. So it was just kind of a shitty experience. It's, yeah. it's not like how, you know, World War Z, when he injects himself with like a terminal illness so the zombies can't right. see and him. Right, and then he... Has, he gets the cure, so then he finds out how to save the world. <laughs> Spoiler alert, hope you've seen World War Z. I love that movie, by the way. I do, too. I was talking about that the other day with someone. That um, one's weird, because it's not, like, just a horror movie. I, I Like, I find it really interesting, but it's also, like, a 
action movie and yeah it's just it's it's one of those where it's not a slow beginning to where you have to like oh my god it's not you better freaking be ready with your seatbelt on the second you watch it oh my gosh i know i i made your daughter and uh my other niece watch uh what was it uh war of war of worlds Mm -hmm. because they said they didn't like alien movies i was like you have to watch this because it is another one that just like boom boom boom. my daughter said she didn't like alien movies oh my god she did she even does she not like independence day she doesn't she doesn't i'm sorry okay well we are gonna remedy this thing i was like your family watches it all the time she's like i no, like I do. Okay, I guess I did. She did know that. say like she, she likes it, but like she doesn't like other movies, and she watches it because she knows y'all love it, and your daughter's really I, okay. Sweet. That's what I was gonna say. She is more like if it's tradition, she knows it's important, so she mm-hmm. will participate. So that's what's really sweet about what you just said. But yeah. the fact that she like doesn't really like she wouldn't like it on her own, I guess. Yeah, I she, I shouldn't give her too much gruff for that because Independence Day is so nostalgic for me. Like I freaking love yeah. it. I still get the chills. When I hear, like, the president's speech. Oh, and, my gosh. And, you know, it's the it, greatest movie. And we grew up with a dad who loved movies. And he had surround sound. So, like, our experiences with movies that we love, like, they came in epic form. Mm-hmm. And, like, that really established our love for them. Um, yes. But, yeah. I have that late night convo. Just me and my nieces of talking about zombies and aliens and them saying they didn't like it. I was like, I don't care if it's uh, 1130. We're starting War of Worlds now. And... Oh, yeah, I know. Y'all watched late into the night that night. Yes. I went to bed way before movies were done. That's the that's what I'm here for. I'm the aunt to keep the kids mm-hmm. up late and uh, educate I don't them. even know how we got onto this whole alien side thing. Oh, we were talking the about. Uh, injected with malaria oh, to try to yes. cure syphilis. Yes, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> that's how it got to World War Z. Continue. Okay, so many of the accounts of Capone while he was in prison says uh, describe him as a thoughtful person when he was lucid. Now, one of the things with syphilis, when you let it go too far, it affects your sanity. One of the things that we've heard about Capone is he died with sort of the mind of, I think, a 12-year-old. He was descending into madness while he was there, and he was continuously getting worse, and he was becoming certifiably insane. So when he wasn't lucid, This is where he had issues in prison. He would defy orders. The guards would beat him. But a lot of times, again, this wasn't because he was just being an asshole. He intellectually probably did not even understand what was going on. Um, So his wife, May, went to the prison um, and pleaded with the prison ward for her husband's release because of his mental mental state and rapid, rapid deterioration. I just can't read anymore either. So he was diagnosed with syphilis of the brain officially in 1938. And so he was released from Alcatraz in 1939. So while he still had a little bit more prison time to serve in another prison, he ultimately um, did end up in Miami where he passed away quietly at the age of 48 in 1947. And it was because of his disease. So we know Al Capone is one of the most notorious criminals of Alcatraz. So let's move on to the next Robert Stroud. Stroud was more commonly known as the Birdman. He was a really fascinating person. Um, so he arrived at Alcatraz in 1942, but before that, he was a he had a very deadly and dangerous reputation. So he first entered the prison system in sorry again from history.com. Stroud first entered the penitentiary system more than 30 years earlier in 1909 when he was convicted of murder and imprisoned in Washington State. From there. 
He did kill a prison guard in front of other inmates. And then he, yeah, not a good idea. He was initially given the death penalty for killing that prison guard, but Woodrow Wilson actually reversed that. Now he got a life sentence. I could not find a reason as to why Woodrow Wilson decided to take away the death penalty for him and just give him a life sentence. You've, you've said you did another story about it's either a president or a politician that were standing by. I think maybe H.H. Holmes or something. Just like, why do people put their reputations on the line to like lower the? Yeah, especially I. You don't know. Like I, I don't know, know the whole situation here with either. the guard and everything. I mean, I'm not saying this guard was a good guy, but it does not look good when a prisoner kills a guard. Yeah. What is that? it's just a message that you're sending to other prisoners. You're like, okay, you know what? We're just going to extend your prison stay rather than put you to death. Yeah, if I don't that know. happened today and a president did that to, like, we say we had some crazy serial killer and they lowered their sentence or... Mm-hmm. I mean... Ex- well, when the, pre- when the president... We would... Yeah, we ex- would now be like, explain yourself, yeah, sir. Because um, we know that <laughs> capital punishment is a state... Thing. The states decide that. So it's like one thing. So if the state decided that and then the president came in and said, no, 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 we're yeah. going to reverse that. Like that, that's the big deal. It's not mm-hmm. the death penalty and the, and then no, 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 we're just going to give you a life sentence. If the state decided that, that's one thing. When the president comes in and reverses it, that feels like another. That's, yeah, like that's a, a choice of an individual person. Exactly. Interesting. So um, because of his now life sentence, they decided due to the fact that he was a very dangerous fella that they would keep him exclusively in solitary confinement. So he took all of this solitary time and began to read a lot of books. And a lot of the books were about canaries. I was about to say, were they about birds? They were. That's why he's Birdman? That's why he's Birdman, yes. So he suddenly began his love of canaries after supposedly he was spending time out in the yard and he saw an injured bird. Side note, I always find it fascinating when murderers maybe don't care so much about the life of human human, people, but but they see an animal and they... That is so common. So common. Uh, and not even just with murderers, but like when people see like a massive injustice to humans and they don't give two craps and then, but animals, my God, like yeah, a wandering yeah. dog, like let's take the owner to court because like, you know, they're not proper animal, whatever, animal owners or well, something. Yeah. It's funny. The amount of murderers have dogs of their own. Mm-hmm. And like you care about and would being. never harm an animal. Yeah. Of course you have murderers that do harm animals, but true. I'm not um, saying all, yeah, all yeah, murderers yeah. are no, kind of animals, but it is a common thing where they do mm-hmm. love animals over humans. And it's, it's, I would love to, we should do a whole episode on that. Just find out. Just dive into the psychology of murderers. I mean, I'm sure there's like a thousand documentaries on just like Netflix alone mm-hmm. about that. Yeah. But, um, so yeah. um, he read so many bird books, in fact, that he became a self-taught ornithologist, which is a, a bird expert. I heard hornithologist. Like, ornithologist. The study of being horny. And his specialty was in canaries. Um, so he became so obsessed with the pursuit of knowledge that he was allowed to breed birds and maintain a lab inside of his cell. Um, in this lab, he authored two books on canaries and contributed observational research that would later benefit the overall study of canaries. That's pretty so, cool. So, on top of him being a cold-blooded killer, he was a bird nerd. Wait, what? What? what who did he kill? What did he do? Oh. That's how he ended up in prison. He was there for murder, and then when he was imprisoned, he murdered a guard. Got it, got it. Okay. So, 
but he really liked birds. So AlcatrazHistory.com details Stroud. In 1959, he was transferred to the Medical Center for Federal Prisoners in Springfield, Missouri. And there on November 21st, 1963, he was found dead from natural causes by convicted spy and close friend, fellow inmate Morton Sobel. In 1962, his story was made into a movie called Birdman of Alcatraz, but he died before the movie came out. Oh. So next well-known person was George Machine Gun Kelly. He was a notorious gangster from the Prohibition era. He was known as Machine Gun Kelly from the marketing efforts of his wife, Catherine. I've never thought about this, but is the rapper Machine Gun Kelly? Like, I'm guessing he he got it from him. Yes. (laughs) That's so funny. He just totally got it from him. Oh, man. So not original Machine Gun Kelly. Yeah, it's usually not. Um, So she had given him a machine gun and she would just give out his shells and name her husband as Machine Gun Kelly. I mean, so that's why I say the marketing efforts, they weren't like true marketing efforts, but she would just like name drop him like that all the time. So he was arrested on a kidnapping conviction and he and Catherine was involved. Um, Him and Catherine arrested a big oil tycoon and ultimately did get caught for it. Um, It was initially successful and they got the money for it. And then they went on the run for a while, but they were caught. So he was taken into custody, him and Catherine, September 1933, and he was sent to prison in Kansas. Now, this bozo was bragging to the prison guards that he was going to break out, and then he was going to break out his wife, and he'd be home by Christmas. No big deal. So the guards and the officials took this seriously and were like, cool, you're going to go to Alcatraz now because that's inescapable. You're not going to be home for Christmas, Yeah, you will not be home for Christmas, pal. When he arrived there, there were 106 prisoners He spent 17 years from 1934 to 1951 in Alcatraz. He was said to be quiet and well-behaved. He worked in an office. He was an altar boy and supposedly did regret the crimes he had committed. Um, In 1940, sorry, 1951, he was transferred to Leavenworth back in Kansas where he died in 1954. Gavin Alvin Creepy Carpus was... Creep, sorry, Creepy Carpus, Carpus is in quotes. It's his nickname. Creepy Carpus. He, he was, I just banged my knee on the desk. Um, he was Alvin Carpowicz, Carpa but he went by Creepy Carpus was his nickname. So he was also a public enemy number one by the FBI in the 1930s. He was a part of kidnapping, just like Machine Gun Kelly. He saw that as a fitting way to make a living. He was part of a gang that did some bank robbing. Him and his gang kidnapped millionaires, and they did have some success in the beginning, like getting 100000 here and like $200,000 there. But famed FBI agent J. Edgar Hoover again personally was like, I'm tracking this guy down, which he did. Go Daddy Hoover. And Creepy Carpus spent 25 years behind bars in Alcatraz, and he was there longer than any other prisoner. He actually stayed until Alcatraz closed in 1963, where he was shipped off to another prison and ultimately released in 1969. He lived another 10 years, wrote two books, and died of an accidental overdose of sleeping pills in 1979 at the age of 72. Wow. What do you think it feels like as a prisoner when it's like, you know, technically your home and they say like, this place is getting shut down, you're being transferred? Like, people get transferred for other reasons, but, like, for shut down? I don't know, do but when you're on a 22-acre island, like, that also has to be, like, maybe a relief. 
Yeah, but I feel like also after so much time, like maybe that kind of solitary feeling might come. It's an adjustment. I, I mean, know. it's got to be an adjustment for any person. I don't know how I would feel. Like, I didn't even like when they sold my last place to be torn down. Like, just, I know it's not going to be my home, but it's not even going to be a use to other people that are going to make memories. Yeah. Okay. I don't know. Make memories. <laughs> I don't think they thought about their prison cell yeah, like that. I know. I made so like many I, memories in this nine by five foot cell or whatever. Away, but it's like, it's still, I guess I'm, it's a place where you spent 25 you, years yeah, of your life. Yeah, that was your home. And now you have to like go find a new prison, figure yeah. out your place, your way around that prison. And like, who's going to be your bitch or not? And like, it's just like, who's going to be your all- bitch? <laughs> it's just learning it all again. It just sounds stressful. Yeah. Well, I'm sure that is stressful. Poor murderous when, prisoners. When not so much leaving the prison, but it's probably going to a new prison. And now yeah. you need to, like, reestablish yourself. Especially, That's probably the most difficult part. Especially if you were a real POS and, like, you walk in to... We were talking the other day, obviously off the podcast, but, you know, how a lot of prisoners don't like people that screw with kids. Mm-hmm. And, like, prison justice. If they know that, like, this guy's coming in, like, I don't know, you just got that feeling of you're not established there so you might get beat up as soon as you get there because they know who you are and you're coming from alcatraz well some of the mobster type people probably come with their reputation yeah and they probably also have other people that are connections yeah they might yeah they might exactly they might have connections yeah so out of the 1500 inmates in and out of alcatraz 36 tried to escape in 14 different attempts there were multiple people in a lot of these escapes not just Mm -hmm. one person So I'm going to briefly go over some of the escapes here because some of them are pretty interesting. Uh, The first attempt was in 1936, or we think it's the first attempt. It was Joseph Bowers. He tried to climb the fence. People assume he was trying to escape and they kept warning him, get down, get down. He didn't. And so he was shot down by the guards. So was it a suicide attempt? Was it an escape? No one knows today Mm -hmm. because it just, it, it, it looks weird. 1937. Theodore Cole and Ralph Rowe did successfully get off the island, but hit a storm between the one and a half miles between Alcatraz and the mainland, Um, so they drowned. And that would happen to me. (laughs) Yeah, so one and a half miles, while that does not seem very long, swimming swimming that long, there's no break in swimming, though. ocean water, too, it's, it's. You're yeah. swimming against... And that's what a lot of a lot of the escapees deal with is, like, the tides here, and they don't seem to take that into account. But swimming a mile and a half is not like jogging a mile and a half or running no. a mile and a half, because there is no break. Even if you try and stop from the, like, swimming, like, strokes or whatever in yeah. swimming, you're you're still swimming. I mean, so there's just no break in it, and that's, that's a lot. tough. And you're swimming against, usually, so you're swimming a lot harder than you would. Mm-hmm. You're really doing yeah. probably like 10 miles with your body. I don't know. It's rough. So in 1938, three inmates attacked one of the guards with a hammer, killing him. And they tried to take over a guard tower. One of those men was shot to death and the other two were captured and charged with the death of the guard and then received the death penalty. 1939, five tried es- uh, escaping They jumped from a 30-foot window and were met by the guards. There was a standoff with two of them. 
They were shot to death, and then the other three surrendered. 1941, four inmates tried taking over and holding guards hostage. This was a failed attempt. Again, 1941, John Bayliss was performing his duties, this was a prisoner, um, by taking out the trash. And I didn't put in here, but several of these people had duties of trash duty Mm -hmm. and when they tried to escape, which I just found interesting. It just seems like maybe there needs to be more guards on the trash duty people. Oh, for sure. So he saw an opportunity and ran for it, and he jumped into the water, and it was super cold, so he changed his mind. (laughs) He did try to escape again, though, when he had his court appeal on... The mainland, so he tried to land escape, but that failed. 1940. Give it to him for trying. I know. (laughs) Damn, that water is cold. I'm going to try again later. (laughs) I don't know what you did, sir, but uh, good for you for trying. (laughs) 1943, four inmates had made knives, like shivs or whatever, and took two guards hostage. Um, They bound them and gagged them, and they escaped through a window, jumping into the bay. The guards taken hostage did break free and sounded the alarm. Two of the men were apprehended. One was shot, and the sea just took his body away. And the last one was thought to have drowned, but two days later showed up at the prison. He was just hiding. He didn't really know where to go. I've been here the whole time, I've been here the whole time. I didn't know where to go. I tried to tell all of y'all, but y'all just didn't see me. 1943, another attempt, but he barely made it to the shoreline before he was captured. 1945 was interesting and pretty ballsy. John Giles, his job was to unload the dirty army laundry. He was slowly piecing together parts of this laundry into a uniform. He did this over several years. And when he finally put it together, he just walked out. Unfortunately, though, I know, right? Like, that takes some balls and patience. Absolutely. That's also probably, like, a great sign for a true psychopath. (laughs) If you have that kind of patience to, like, do it. I know. Others just saw an opportunity, and and he was like, no, I'm going to do this over years and years. But unfortunately, they count the inmates, and they realize there were one too many guards, and... One less inmate, so he did get busted. But it was a nice try, though. That is, yeah, that's a great try. Uh, Good job, you win. May 1946 was the most famous escape attempt, remembered as the Battle of Alcatraz. Um, So this comes from history.com. Calm. Dot com. Dot com. Uh, resulted with a bloody three-day standoff between prisoners and the guards. On May 2nd, six prisoners overpowered the cell house offices and gained access to their weapons and cell house keys. A promising start fell apart, however, after the prisoners realized they didn't have the keys to the yard necessary to leave the prison. So instead of turning themselves in, the prisoners spent days battling against the officers. The standoff, which became... So intense, U.S. Marines were called in, left two officers dead and some 18 others injured. As for the prisoners, Coy, Kretzer, and Hubbard were killed. What great names. Coy, Kretzer, and Hubbard. Mm-hmm. In the aftermath, I didn't name all the names here because it didn't start with the names. Um, so I'm sorry about that. <laughs> I like listened to that as if like you didn't name them. So. I never named them and now I am. <laughs> I know because I didn't start with the names. Um in the aftermath, Shockley, Thompson, and Kames, the other people that were involved. Dude, all these guys have great names. Yeah. Were charged with killing two officers. They were sentenced to death and eventually executed by lethal gas. While Carnes, who was 19, received a second life sentence. Yeah. That kind of makes me sad. He's like 19. 
Yeah. But he, he did. He, he, you can do heinous he, things. He at done 19. fucked up for you, sure. You done messed like, up there. I feel like I didn't mature until I was like twenty four, like the early twenties. Yeah, below. Well, and for a guy, it's supposedly uh, longer. Yeah. I mean, yeah, we're talking about like a twelve year old brain here. So I'm just kidding. Yeah. But, so yeah. 1956, there was a 12 hour manhunt. Um, they went looking for Floyd Wilson, who was found hiding between some rocks on the island. Sorry, I just totally um, blanked my spot here. 1958, two men escaped, and again, no other escapee apparently warned the others about the water. So the tides were strong for these two, and one was captured and one drowned. The botter, the botter, the body was found two days later, floating in the bay. Now, there were two that did escape in 1962. So this was also another famous situation. So the first two, there were three people, but two out of the three, we think, escaped. So two were brothers, John and Clarence Anglin and their pal Frank Morris. They made paper mache heads to trick the guards during night check. Um, They put them in the beds to look like someone was in the bed. They crawled through the vents to get to the roof. They climbed down the drain pipes where they had makeshift life vests. Okay? So they were more prepared. So someone maybe did clue them in. There was a raft there and were never heard from again. Now, it's possible at least one of them wasn't successful. Several weeks after this escape, a badly decomposed body was found and thought to be one of the prisoners, but it's never been confirmed. So no, literally, we don't know what happened to those three. Maybe one of them was this decomposed body. That's cool. I I thought, from what I remembered, when you said you were doing Alcatraz, like, no one has ever successfully escaped. That's what I thought I knew. That's because the FBI will not confirm this as a confirmed escape. Oh, so you little FBI people. So they like could have died. Things. They could have not. They just were literally never heard from again. Oh, that's fun to think about. Where'd they go? I know. Like, where'd they go? Did they go off and have good lives? Were they good people? Did they go off to commit lives of crime? I have literally no idea. Is our father. But it did capture the attention of someone in Hollywood. Um, there was a Hollywood movie made out of it starring Clint Eastwood, and it's called Escape from Alcatraz. I don't think I've seen that. I don't think I've seen that either. I do. I love Clint Eastwood. Continue. So 1962, John Paul Scott and Darl Parker had bent the bars in the kitchen window and escaped and swam to shore. Like we said, it's 1.5 miles and the FBI really didn't think it was possible to swim across, but even 1.5 miles is pretty exhausting when it comes to water. Scott was exhausted, and when he reached the Golden Gate Bridge shore, he was just found unconscious with hypothermic shock, so he was just taken. Um, and Parker was found nearby as well. I don't think he had hypothermic shock, though. So that was the last escape attempt, and then the prison was closed a year later and shut down by the orders of Attorney General Robert Kennedy. So this wasn't the last occupation of Alcatraz. 1969, about 100 Native Americans led by Mohawk Richard Oaks claimed the island. They wanted the island to establish a university and culture center, cultural center. They offered $24 and a glass of beads and a red cloth, which supposedly was how much the Dutch paid for Manhattan in 1626. So it was kind of a... Damn. Well, I almost said quit bro quo, but it's not. Kind of (laughs) a reference to history there. Yeah, that's cool. Um, So they remained there from 1969 to 1971, where federal marshals did remove the last of those protesters. 
What is kind of cool, though, is that this was publicized enough that it led to other movements around the country. The U.S. government ultimately did return millions of acres of ancestral land to Native Americans and passed several laws that supported tribal law. So there, there is a silver lining, even though maybe the Alcatraz part wasn't successful. It, it did lead to some, some successes elsewhere. Oh, for sure. So lastly, is it haunted? Well, maybe. There is a lot of stuff that went down at Alcatraz, but it's not known so much for its hauntings as it is just like having a haunting history more yeah, than a haunted history. A lot of, I mean, it's going to happen when you have a, a lot of people that have done a lot of horrific things together in a confined environment. <laughs> I mean, it's just going to happen. Mm-hmm. I am positive it has a haunted history. It has a fascinating history, to say the least. So basically, people just talk about feelings of uneasiness, probably a weird energy. But that's about, I mean, to me, that's about it. Yeah. No, like like a lot of stories. I know there's been reportings of Al Capone's banjo playing or like just other stuff. But like, yeah, I, I agree with you. I don't think it's something that's a haunted place. I think it's just... It's seen a lot of bad people, and there's been a lot of bad things. and Right, exactly. So I think that contributes to, like, the energy that's probably yeah. there and lingering, and that's what people Absolutely. feel. But you can visit Alcatraz. You can take a tour of Alcatraz. Um, I certainly would be doing that if I was in San Francisco. Heck, yeah. But that's it for today. Thank you for listening. Uh, I also just have to say I'm so embarrassed about my educational moment earlier today about i don't even want to say it out loud again i'm just so embarrassed look you guys this this is the real thing (laughs) sodomy is when that term is used it's attached to a crime which makes sense why somebody would think if something criminal is going on then it's something heinous okay that's not what that means we don't use sodomy in a positive term that you don't sodomize somebody and it's considered something Why, like the most lovers sodomize each other or something. So <laughs> I don't think Lainey should be embarrassed by it. And I don't think anything anybody should make any comments about it. This is how we learn things. Isn't this how we know things? And it's really not that big of a deal. Still so embarrassed. But I also hope like most of y'all are like, I actually didn't know that either. Or y'all are going to be like, lady, just get off the show. <laughs> Casey needs to No, come. we're not going to let her off the show, okay? <laughs> this is this is how we learn things, and it's fun to educate people that... Th- this is where you find out. I mean, when I was a teacher, there were things that, in my mind, I'd be shocked a kid didn't know, but I'm like, you know what? This is their learning experience. Like, how else are they going to know? At Thank some- you for comparing me to a kid. That yeah. doesn't oh, know my God. This is freaking life. <laughs> I know. I'm just kidding. I'm where kidding. we have our <laughs> aha moments where we're like, oh, my gosh, this just never came up before. Yes. So, anyway, with that, thank you for listening Thank you. Um, Go follow us on the Instagram at haunted.real.estate. And if you have a real estate story of any any kind that you'd like to share, we would love to be able to share it too. Um, It doesn't have to be haunted history. Of course, not everything here is haunted. Sometimes it's just interesting history. Um, But if you were involved in some like weird house sale or you're a realtor with a weird realtor story, I would love to be able to share those. So send them to us at hauntedrepod at gmail.com. And I, Ashley, am a Houston area realtor at Blair Realty Group. We are Jabor Realty Team, my husband and I. 
So if you have any Houston needs, look us up. I feel weird giving my phone number on a podcast. We're not that hard to find. Yeah. So look us up. Uh, I know I'm uh, her sister, but she really is the most educational, informative person. that There is a reason why she mentors a lot of people. So Yes, I'm also a mentor agent. I mentor other agents, too, that are brand new, starting their careers, too. Yeah, it's good stuff. And uh, we also want to apologize again. Um, We might be trying to learn how to record our podcast remotely, just with our job transitions. It's not going to be forever, because I do truly enjoy looking at my sister's face as she is in shock of the stupid stuff I say. I prefer it in person. Uh, but we're going to try to do some remote stuff, so yeah. just bear with us. And also, I, I, any feedback y'all have, negative or positive, just send it on up. Be kind when you're negative, okay? It's okay to give constructive feedback, but if it is destructive feedback, just don't even bother. It's not helping anybody. And we're here to be a positive. We want to be positive lights in the world. We don't want to... We don't need that kind of negativity, and we don't want you that negativity. light up my life. With that, we are going to go ahead and uh, check out for the day. Thank you, <laughs> and goodbye. Bye.